Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Green Tools will try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from you. And I see we've got callers already All been right. patiently holding. We've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good, good morning, Louis. I have a new Oldsmobile. It's a 95 Sierra with a 3.1 mm-hmm. and a four-speed automatic. It rolls when I step on the brake hard. I can't. I don't hear a leak from the power booster for the brakes, and I can't. I don't see anything leaking out. And I've tried it also in drive instead of you know instead of the overdrive. Yes, sir. And it still stalls. Let me ask you this, Mike. Have you ever tried it sitting still with the car, like in park? Yes, I did. Well, it, it does not stall. It does not stall. Does does the RPM drop down when you hit the brake? I can't really tell. There's no tack in the car, mm-hmm. and I haven't had my wife in the car to do it while I'm standing outside. Listening I would, to it. It's kind of quiet. Yeah, I would first off try it with it in park, air conditioning on, so to sort of load it. It doesn't work. Air conditioning doesn't work. Okay, well, just try it in park and hit the brake and see if it starts to get rougher or if it stumbles or if you've got a tachometer you can hook to it where you can see if the RPM drops. The reason being, that's going to determine more whether it is the sudden change of inertia in the motor from driving down the road to applying brake or if it's the brake booster bringing the problem on. You see what I'm saying? So we know kind of more where we're looking. Because if it does it in park, there's basically no load. There's no change of inertia there. If it still drops, RPM drop, then we're looking at a brake booster type problem. You know, some kind of a vacuum leak or whatever. However, what I suspect may be happening, so you're driving down the road, the engine's turning up fast. All of a sudden, you hit the brakes hard. Well, you let off the gas, which means the RPM drop, and then you're also loading the whole drivetrain. So I yes. think it could possibly be the load change that's causing the issue. I mean, another way you could try is just you can block off your power brake hose. You know, just take the hose off the booster and plug it. Go drive okay. the car being very careful, of course, because it's going to be much harder to stop. Find you an empty parking lot with no one else around, right. maybe on a Sunday afternoon or something. And block yes. that booster hose off and then try to duplicate the problem again. Right. If it if, does not okay. do it, so I, then, I then you're into it, a booster issue. But if it still I does it, it. To block the booster off, mm-hmm. uh, put a clamp on it or pull it off at the booster end. I would just pull it off it. at the booster end and find like a bolt or something that would fit into the okay. hole and just plug it. Just as long as, or you could you tape it up with duct tape. I mean, just as long as it's not a vacuum leak there any longer. Now, Get a rubber okay. cap and put over anything. It doesn't matter how you do it. Right. When you do that, the okay. brake pedal is going to get extremely hard. Yeah. And it's going right. to be very hard to get it stopped. I've had cars with no pedal. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but try that because, it, you know, what I'm going to assume is that it's probably something with the hard stop and not actually the booster causing the issue. Although, it this, could. This, this test will tell you for certain. If it is, I would be looking more at something like the idle control servo. Maybe it's getting old and slow. Because okay. what happens is that when you let off of the throttle, it's going to slam shut. The airflow is going to be blocked. And so that engine is going to kind of stumble. The idle servo picks the idle speed up to keep that from happening. Can I clean that with the throttle body on the car? 
In some cases? In some cases you can, but most time, if it's getting slow, cleaning it is not going to help. Right. You're going to okay. have to replace that idle servo if now, that's the case. And that being said, you're still going to have to clean the throttle plate. Yeah, the throttle because, plate, that you can probably right. do with it on the car. That's where you clean the buildup out of the throttle body yeah. where the plate comes in. That's a separate issue. But there is a special cleaner for that. Do mm-hmm. not use anything else but that yeah, cleaner. Right. You don't want anything okay. real powerful that would take off the anodization inside the throttle body because then it could start to leak and cause you more issues. But, yeah, I think you're going to probably find something like that. You know, if yeah. you had air conditioning in it, another way to test. And what you could do also, put it in park or neutral with it running and, again, Put your foot on the brake and drop it in drive and see if the RPM look like they drop down, like the motor bogs down when that occurs. Because what should happen, the split second that it starts to bog down, that idle control servo should pick it right back up. Right. If it doesn't, that's the sign that the idle servo is too slow. And if it's okay, too slow, I, it's going to die. Right. I have one other question. It's yes. Not, the transmissions don't get stuck in high gear. They can. They can. Okay, because that's – how would I eliminate that as a possibility? By kicking it into neutral before you stop. In other words – Take and you're coming along maybe right. 35, 40 miles an hour, put it in neutral, hit the brakes hard, and if it doesn't do it, that can happen. And generally what it's doing, there is a torque converter release solenoid that can hang up on that. And so coming to a stop, what happens is that the torque converter doesn't release. It's like trying to stop a standard transmission in gear, you know, with the, with the clutch out. It'll choke yes. the motor down. So that is another possibility. If I unplug that, that's a valid test. I try putting it in. Into you can't unplug it because if you unplug the torque converter, it may just go to full lockup all the time. Okay. So what I would do is just kick it into neutral and come to a hard stop and see. Because in neutral, it's just going to freewheel through the unit. And I would run that test first because it's easy to do and it takes very little Any kind work. of test equipment right. or anything else, yeah. And you don't even have to open the hood. You can do that sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. Just get it, like I said, on lonely road there with no other cars around kick in neutral and come to a hard stop and if it does not do it then you, you could be into a could a very well be into a transmission issue now not so much on gm but i know on ford products if they're a little bit low on fluid they won't release because the pressure okay. releases the solenoid and if you get a little bit of a low fluid level and you come to a stop the fluid can slosh forward the pump can suck air and it won't release the solenoid and they'll die okay okay Thank you very much, and I, I consider myself a student at Alcazan University. I see a podcast every <laughs> well, weekend. Very Thank you very much. Where are you calling from, Mike? Long Island, New York. Oh, okay. I, I thought I picked up a Long Island accent there, <laughs> or New York. <Yes. laughs> All right, Mike, thanks for calling, man. Thank you for the help. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number of you on part of the automotive hour. If Mike can call from Long Island, you can call from there you go, huh? Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> One of the L names, Louisiana at very least. So. There you go. And that is a problem you don't see as much anymore after 2004 up in that area. When right. they went to drive by wire, they kind of eliminated the idle control servo. Now the throttle body handles that itself. Being a much more robust assembly, you don't see too much problem with those. Very little problem with or that, that drive-by that wire. that particular problem. Yeah. They have their issues in some cases, especially on GM. The, the throttle plates will get dirty. Right. And it'll forget idle. Well, that or they can start losing sight of the throttle blade and they can start setting a check engine light or shutting the throttle down. So they have their own peculiarities, but mm-hmm. the dying at idle is not so much no, one No, not of them. anymore. But the older cars, like that 95, would have an idle servo. Now, fortunately, the idle servo is fairly inexpensive on that car, right. fairly easy to change. Yeah, see, I think it's right there on top. Just screws right inside the throttle body. And they're normally in the 35, 40. The expensive was maybe $75, $80 uh-huh. range. They're not a very expensive part. So Well, that's just an, an, another part that technology has eliminated over the years. That's right. And like I said, they've created other issues with it. Sure. They did eliminate that particular one. 
And, you know, like just about every week, we try to have some kind of a topic or guideline to go by just to mm-hmm. keep the show more orderly. But you never limit it to whatever we're talking about. Not at all. You just call in with any problem you might have on your mind. I'm glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And today I thought we might talk about storing engine oil. Well, I had an email earlier in the week, and a gentleman was asking, how long can I store oil? Uh-huh. And there's not a simple one answer to that question. No, there's not, because you have no idea when the oil was manufactured. How because there's already there's, is. There's no use-by date that I'm aware of that is on the oil container. Mm-hmm. So you don't know how old it is, how long it's been sitting on the shelf already. Mm-hmm. And when you get it, you know, it could be sitting there and had been sitting in stock somewhere for four years. Well, if you bought it from a big box store, they may have bought out a lot of old oil from somewhere else, maybe 10,000 cases. They've had it stored in their warehouses. Who knows, even a parts store for sure. that matter or wherever you might buy your oil from, even if you buy it from an oil wholesaler. Who knows? Particularly if it's an odd viscosity that they don't move a lot of product. For instance, at one time, 10W30 was the standard. Oh, yeah, that was that went in everything. 90% of the cars took 10W30, but now 10W30 is the exception. You sure. rarely see it. There's still a handful of cars that call for 1030, but and Not a few many. older cars that use it. But if you're buying 1030, I know we only keep about one case at the shop because we don't want to sit there and get old we don't right. we don't use, use it, it fast that enough. enough right i mean five six quarts per change and we may only see an all change with 10 30 every three six, months yeah three to six maybe months six months even so again depending how old the oil was when you got it that's going to be one factor now there are other even more important factors they and are. we're going to talk about those as soon as we get back from this break Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment on the show, give us a call at 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get your questions answered live, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. Any time of the day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is the ag- the, mm. <laughs> the address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button, a little form's going to pop up, and just fill it out and send it in. There you go. I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours, sometime sooner, just depending on how many times I happen to be checking email this. Or what day of the week it is. What day of the week it is, or a million other factors. There you go. And, again, we were talking a little bit about oil and how long it lasts and, and all these kinds of things. Now, the short answer, which everybody likes a short, direct answer, you could say about five years is the life of a lubricant. 
and there may be some type of code on it that would tell you when it was manufactured. I don't know where it is. We buy most of our oil in bulk or right. in tanks or in 55-gallon drums, so I just don't know there is a code on there. If somebody knows that, if you call in, let me know. If not, maybe we'll do a little research on that and find out find if there out. is a code somewhere saying how old the oil is. But general rule, about five years. Now, that's going to be affected by a number of factors. It is. Temperature is the biggest. Mm-hmm. Oil should be stored anywhere between 40 and 80 degrees in a cool, dry climate. So, you know, out on the shelf in the garage, half opened is not a good way to store any kind of oil. Well, and like you said, half open. What Once you open that bottle, you destroy the seal that and was put in. A lot of bottles I've noticed now, uh, some of the manufacturers are actually double sealing the, the jugs now. There's a paper seal right on the top, and then the cap itself has a seal on it. So mm-hmm. it's actually double sealed. They're trying to stop the moisture from building inside the jugs from storage. Right. You get that little moisture level inside the bottle. Because... The level of the oil is not all the way to the top, right. so there's an air gap in there. Well, because the temperature changes, they got to leave some air gap in there, or else it would pressurize the... And, and split the bottle. Split the bottle at some point in time. But, yeah, that's a big, big, big issue. Now, what happens to oil over time? I think the oil itself is going to remain oil. It's not going to change. Sure. But the additives in the oil... That is the issue. Number it's, one, they're going to fall out of suspension because right. they're heavier than the oil. Right. And, you know, most of the time you, you buy a jug of oil and you set it up on the shelf or at, at very most when you buy it off the shelf at the store, it got shook when it got put on the shelf. And then, you know, on the ride home, it gets shaken up. Agitated a bit. And then you get home and you put it on the shelf and it sits there for four, five, six months. And well, like you're saying, the additives fall see, out of suspension. I think probably the worst situation, first, if you're changing your oil. It's not such a bad thing because you're going to probably pour the entire bottle into the car, and as soon as the motor cranks up, it's going to stir it all up. Where it's really a problem, let's say you've got a bottle of oil that's been sitting on the shelf for six months. The additives are heavier than the oil, particularly in thinner viscosity oil or in higher temperatures. And that's where everything is going to is the thinner viscosity oil. Settles down to the bottom of the bottle. Well, if you grab this bottle just to top off and say you pour in half of the bottle well all the additives are in the bottle mm-hmm. so what you got was pretty much pure oil with no additives which pure oil with no additives is no good right and then the next time around you'll get a deluge of additives which is not the right amount and just because some's good doesn't mean more is better exactly so you always better off to agitate that bottle just like you would a can of paint before sure. you take start painting your wall you're going to stir it or shake it or agitate it in some way. Oil should be handled the same way. Right. Turn it upside down and then agitate it and give those additives time to disperse through the oil before adding, particularly when you're just topping off and not adding the entire container. Let's go back to our phone lines. Ralph, good morning, Ralph. Good morning, sir. Yes, good morning. Two questions. One is somebody has been advertising oil made out of gasoline nowadays. Well, made out of natural gas. Right. And what do you think about it? It's fine. I mean, it's just a different way of producing all. I mean, I know there's one company that's making a big deal out of it, talking about how pure it is and all that. I don't think it's any inherently better than an all made out of petroleum would be, and they talk about contaminants. But, I mean, that's what the refining process is about is cleaning it. They, they distill it to a certain viscosity, and then they filter and clean it. I mean, it's nothing, I think, it's just a different way of doing it. I don't think it's inherently a lot better or a lot worse. I mean, I like seeing it because Louisiana is the biggest natural gas producer in the United States, so it helps our economy. But I don't think it's, it's more a marketing thing than a, a real big, big advantage. I don't think it's any better or any worse. Thank you. Qu- question number two. Mm-hmm. I have a 2008 Lincoln Town Car. Okay. 
And every time it rains, the floorboard on the passenger side always gets full of water. Yes, and after mm-hmm. about two days, dried it out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what's most of the time the problem with that particular car, Ralph. At the base of the windshield, you'll notice this little plastic screen there. That's where the car right. draws the air in. Right. Now, what happens is that leaves and debris tend to build up on the windshield and the roof, and they run down, and they get in there, and there's two little drains, one on either side. Those plug up. When they plug up, the water level will start to build up in that little plenum area, and mm-hmm. that's where the water, where the air is drawn in. And some of them even have a cabin filter in there. The water tends to overflow into there, and that's when it starts coming in on that side. So it's real important to get that fixed because not only are you getting water inside the car, but the wiper motor is also down that plenum, and it's going underwater. So you end up having to buy a new wiper motor if you let it go on. But almost every time, if you will take if you're pretty handy, just you know, raise the hood, pull that screen out, and get it. You can find a bunch of debris down there. Clean it all out the best you can. Take a garden hose and run it in there and make sure it doesn't build up any longer. Now, in some weird cases, the little housing that comes up kind of sticks up a couple of inches just to keep water from getting in. That can crack, but usually that's not the case. Usually it's just the drains are plugged up on it. And that's something you could probably do yourself if you're pretty handy. Well, thank you very much. All right, Ralph. Great show. Thanks, thank man. You. Thanks, Colin. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number you want to be part of the automotive hour. We used to see that a lot on Ford products, mm-hmm. like on the Lincoln Town Car and also on the Crown Vic and the Grand Marquis, right. where the wiper motor would go out. And, of course, they would, the guy would decide to change it on a nice dry day, so he would get in there, and everything was nice and dry, so he didn't think much about it. He just changed the motor, figure it just went out. And then two weeks, three weeks, a month later, the motor goes out again. again. Well, he says, well, must be one of them cheap rebuilt motors. So he goes buy a better motor this time, puts it in there. Three weeks, a month later, it goes out again. Yeah. And not understanding that the water was actually taking it out. Right, because generally it's raining. That's when the problem is occurring. But it may not fail until a few days later. Sure. By the time you get to the shop or do the work yourself, it's probably all dried out. And it's natural to just assume that whatever you see is the way it always is, mm-hmm. not realizing these drains are maybe not totally plugged up to the point that it's going to hold water forever, but they're right. restricted to where in a it rain slows it down. It slows it down backs so it that up. it backs up. Well, after it sits for a couple of three four hours, it will run out, mm-hmm. so it's dry when you get it. So you don't assume that right. this is the problem. And normally debris has washed down into the drains where you don't see it, so... Yeah, those those drains are kind of hidden back underneath the edges of the fenders, and they're really hard to see unless you get down in there. Sometimes with a mirror, actually, mm-hmm. and have to look through a mirror to actually see the the little drains in there. They're not very big, and I don't I don't know I, I don't understand why they're not bigger. Yeah, you know, for the fact that this big old open area between the hood and the windshield is taking water in. Right, it has to go somewhere. A lot of water. Yeah. Well, when it's raining and you're driving, that's all running down the hood and it's going right in there. It's coming down the windshield. It's running down in there. So a lot of water gets into that area, and it's designed for that, and it's got drains to handle it. But if they're not big enough or if they become restricted, I mean, these were big enough as long as everything was okay. Right. But it kind of begs the point, too, that the best practice is if you've got a garage, obviously park your car in a garage. If you've got a carport, that's even uh, not as good as a garage, but much better than nothing else. But if you have to park outside, try not to park under a tree. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you do have to park on trees, maybe you can get a cover or something for the car. Sure. Because debris gets in there. I know we see that all the time. Oh, yeah. And not only can it cause problems with water getting into your car or damage to the wiper motor and all that, it can cause a, a pretty bad odor. 
because if this stuff starts to build up in there and then starts to decay, which is what organic material does, you can start getting a nasty odor in your car. So it can cause all kinds of issues. It's best to try to avoid parking under trees or parking around trees. Well, any moisture underneath the carpet or in the padding will start to mold. Right. And then you've really got a big problem. Well, it's generally a pretty good-sized issue to pull the seats out, pull sure. the carpet out to dry all this stuff. It's not like just sopping it up with towels going to get it done. No, no. You're talking about an inch thick of padding and carpet there before it gets to the floorboard. That's going to soak up solid before you even feel it on top. Before you even realize it's wet, all that's occurring. So, yeah, you're going to get a pretty good odor if you don't pull that out. Set it in the sun or Takes, some kind of way where you can clean it out and dry it completely before putting it back in after solving the problem. Mm-hmm. So another thing is just when you wash your car, always look, and if you see debris on that screen, wash that off too. Sure. Clean it off. If nothing else, compressed air works really good to blow it out of there. But even if you have to take your fingers, just pick them out one mm-hmm. at a time. Take a little more time, obviously. But, yeah, you always want to keep that area clear and clean of debris. I know we get cars in the shop all the time. All the time. Man, Every the, time you open the hood, it's just packed with leaves. and Pine needles. Pine, right. And, you know, a lot of pine trees in the south. So you'll see just all kinds of stuff down there. We generally will take and clean that out as part of whatever other service we're doing. And if it's built up in the top, then you know it's built up in the drains and under the fenders and, and everywhere that the water would flow to carry it. So all that needs to be cleaned out also. Yeah, that's it. Just kind of a little tip there to kind of solve you solve a problem before you have it. There you go. <laughs> Prevent a problem. We were talking a little bit about oils and storing oils and that kind of stuff, how long you can store uh-huh. oil. And you don't want to buy a lot more product than you're going to use. Right. Because it brings out the problem of storing it. If you are going to store it, I would advise bring it in the house in a climate-controlled environment, maybe put it into a closet. Sure. Because you don't want to sit in the direct sun where it's going to get really hot. So a closet is a good place to have it. Of course, you have to inspect it from time to time, make sure it's not leaking because you don't want oil in your closet, <laughs> obviously with your clothes or whatever. But if you can keep it in a climate-controlled environment, you're going to be much, much better off. It's going to last longer, and it's not going to contaminate nearly as fast. I know at the shop we've got a lube room, which is air-conditioned and climate-controlled. Sure. And also, when you have, not necessarily in bottles, but when you start storing stuff in bulk, like a 55-gallon drum, well, we've got a faucet on there where you can open it, drain the oil out to your container to put in the car. But when the oil comes out, air has got to go back in. Sure. Else it would draw a vacuum in the tank and it and wouldn't quit, run out. Quit flowing. So what we have done is that we've got a vent on top of the tanks, but we've got a desiccant filter in Inside those vents, vent. which is going to clean and dry the air before it goes in the tank. But not all shops do that. No. No, I've, I've seen oil storage tanks outside before yeah. at some of these quick lube places. A lot of quick lubes, they have a big storage tank outside. Which means it's in the rain, it's in the sun, it's in all this stuff. Right, the temperature's changing on it constantly, especially here in South Louisiana. Well, if you've got an open tank and the sun's hitting down on it, it might go up to 100 degrees during the day. Easily. At night, it cools down to 60, 70 degrees, moisture's going to form. Mm-hmm. That moisture's going to go into the oil because oil has dispersant. It's supposed to absorb moisture. So when you go and get your oil changed, you're getting a big old tank of wet oil. Right. Before you ever put it in the car. It's already absorbed as much moisture as it can. Right. And particularly if it's a low-volume kind of a station where they don't turn over a lot of product, then that can be a real problem. Big problem. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, with the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have, talking about oil, storing oil, and such as that. Yep. How long you can store oil, and of course, we're not, yeah, not limited to that topic. Any question you may have is always a good one. And you brought up a good point. That is, once the oil is opened, the seal has been broken. Mm -hmm. That all is not going to keep near as long as a sealed bottle would. Right. Because it now has a big, a bigger chamber of air sitting on top of it. And air has moisture in it. And South Louisiana has a lot of moisture it in does. it. It does. If you've got a dehumidifier in your house. Oh, you'd be surprised how fast it fills up. <laughs> I've got one. And mine is hooked into the drain, so it drains itself. It's got a little pump that pumps the water oh, that's out. nice. But occasionally that little pump, will, the line will plug up or whatever, and it will fill a three-gallon tank. I mean, just in a matter of hours. Sure. It's sucking a tremendous amount of water out of that air. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of water in the air. It's going to get into that bottle. I mean, really and truly, unless you're going to use this oil again, let's say your, oil is your car is consuming some oil and you have an ad on a regular basis, then you might just store it. But right. if it's something that you're not going to use, I would just probably dispose of that oil rather than keep it. It's just not worth dumping contaminated oil into your engine. If it's something maybe your car takes... Four and a half quarts, and yeah, you got a five quart jug, or four and three quarters, whatever. Right. I would probably just dispose of that last little quarter, use it for lubricating something else. I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't put it into my engine, or try to buy the right amount. Now, when you buy oil, and you want to buy it in a case or whatever, that's okay. Buy a couple of cases, maybe you get a, a discount good deal on it, right? But it's kind of like in all inventory management, we call FIFO, which is first in, first out. Correct. You want to rotate that stock. You don't want to start stacking it on the shelf, and one case goes to the back and two more go in the front, and you start using the one in the front because it's easier to get to. If you've got an older case, it should go to the front. Right. So that way you get it used first. It's been on the shelf longer, and the newer stuff may last longer, so it goes on the back of the shelf. I mean, if nothing else, you could write the date that you the bought sure. the oil on your cases so you know to use the older stuff up first because you don't want to keep it. It's almost impossible to give an exact time that the oil is going to expire. But we do know that fresh oil is going to be better than old oil. oil. I never did a lot of cooking in my lifetime. And now that I've got more time on my hands, I do more cooking. And every recipe that you bring up, it always says fresh this, fresh that. They sure. stress even like fresh parsley instead of dried parsley. It's going to make a difference in that recipe. We know that fresh is better. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with oils and lubricants. Fresh, unopened is better than something that's been sitting on the shelf a long period of time. Correct. 
So that's the reasons you would do that. Now, if you have your oil changed somewhere else, you're kind of at the mercy of the storage procedures of the company that's changing your oil, but it may not be imprudent to ask about yeah. how they store their oil. Sure. And if they look at you with a confused look. Yeah, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, you're probably in the wrong <laughs> place. And, you know, if I've got one place that I use a lot, I might even want to see how they store the oil just so I can see if sure. it's done in a proper manner. And if you're really that concerned about it, you can supply your own oil. You could always bring your own oil with you and just pay them the charge to change the oil. Just like we recommend bringing your own oil filter if you're not certain what kind of filters they use. Correct. Oils that would to be treated the same way. Mm-hmm. That would kind of help eliminate a lot of those issues. Another problem that eliminates is that you are getting the correct viscosity of oil. Exactly. I know a lot of places have minimum wage kind of people, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but... For the most part, the Lubrac guys are not the highest trained people. Most places do not have L1 master text change and all. Right. And they can easily grab the wrong oil. They may or may not look up what goes in the car, but they can grab the wrong oil. If they run low on one, they may add another one. I mean, all sorts of things can happen where, although you would think I'm paying for an oil change, it's going to be done perfectly mm-hmm. right, I'm entitled to that. Yes, you are, but... It doesn't always happen in the real world. Sure, and and it's not going to be a problem you're going to see right now. Right. You know, this is going to be a problem down the line when the car gets 100, 120,000 miles on it. You're going to start having oil-related issues. Well, we had a customer who always liked putting thicker oil in his car than what it called for, and I would warn him every time he would come in, oh, no, no, it needs the extra protection. It's hot here, mm-hmm. so it needs more viscosity. I said, well, no, no, no. Number one, all is rated at 100 degrees Celsius. In other words, that number you get, the 5W30, that 5 is at 100 degrees Celsius, mm-hmm. which is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not ever going to get 212 degrees no. outside. You know, to a car, the difference between 70 degrees outside and 100 degrees outside, as far as the all is concerned, is negligible. Right. Now, the cooling system is a little different story. It gets a little harder to cool the engine off at higher ambient temperatures. But to the oil, that's really no difference at all. The proper viscosity oil for your car is what is recommended by the manufacturer. Right, what the engineer designed to go in that car. They are looking at that from a whole lot of different perspectives, not only from a lubrication perspective. They're looking at it from the cam timing perspective. They're looking at how fast the oil can get to the top of the engine, how fast it can drain back to the pan. Oil does all kinds of things now more than it used to. It does. It drives all kinds of little contraptions and gizmos on the engine, and that's why you're seeing the thinner, lower viscosity oils now. Subsequently, they have made the clearances on the engine much tighter, tighter to use the lower viscosity oil. Right. So if your car calls for 0W20, that doesn't mean put 10W30 or 15W40 in it. Exactly. That is not going to work out. And as an engine gets older, it does not require heavier oil. No. The oil that goes... Designed for the car, goes in it for the life of the car. Well, in fact, Ford actually came out with a technical service bulletin. They were having trouble with the oil getting through the engine into the cat, the catalytic converters. Well, thicker oil has more windage because the crankshaft's beating through it. It's thicker, so it stirs up more oil. It sucks it in a PC system. They were losing catalytic converters, and they went back from 5W30 to 5W20, which basically solved that problem, or, or at least made it much, much, much better. So you can have all kinds of issues. I know you think that thicker oil is better because Americans just seem to think it's something good more is better. But <laughs> not in this case. Not in this case. You may end up 
causing problems. With an $1,800 catalytic converter job because you put the wrong oil in your car. It yep. may, may take six years to 12 years to happen, but it may very well happen. Your sure. odds are going way, way up when you're putting the wrong oil in your car. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Donnie online. Good morning, Donnie. Good morning, fellas. Good yes, morning. Sir. This is in reference to a transmission issue mm-hmm. on a uh, 205. It was about brand new. And uh, there's a light that comes on. And every time the light comes on, the truck drags somewhat. Mm-hmm. Is it a check and engine light, light or what, what kind of light is it? Well, I don't think it's a check engine light. It's a, the light that uh, is to the left is to the left of the dash. What kind of vehicle is it? It's a uh, 205 Dodge Ram. Okay. I guess it's a Hemi or, or something. Yes, sir. And now that that light comes on, whenever it comes on, it drags. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you're pulling a, I don't know, a locomotive or something. Yes, sir, I understand. You need to find out what light that is. Donnie, most likely it's going to be the check engine light. It may not say check engine. It may say something else. Or it may not say anything at all. It may just be a little icon. It may be going into reduced power mode. Right. There are just any number of things that can cause that. One is if the engine sees something it doesn't like, if the computer sees a situation it doesn't like, like, for instance, if the throttle body does not correlate to the accelerator pedal because it's drive-by-wire, what it can do is it can reduce the power on the engine. It'll just cut it down. So even though you're mashing the pedal to the floor, it just ain't going to go. It's going to go about half throttle or less Less. to keep it from running away from you. Another thing is it may not shift. It may lock up in a lower gear. And that's going to also reduce your power. So there's just a number of things. Whatever light is on is going to have a module that runs it, and there'll be a code set inside that module. Whether the light stays on or goes Whether it's off, on or off, it's it'll set a history still, code. Still be in there. So diagnosis would begin by bringing it in and having that module read. Whether it's a transmission module, the chassis control module, the body control module, the power control module, whatever it is. That code is going to tell you where to start looking for the problem. For instance, it may say something like transmission range error. Well, that means it's getting confused. It doesn't know what gear it's in. And that could be something simple as like the, the position sensor on the transmission. It may say throttle body correlation error. That means something between the accelerator pedal and throttle body, and it's shutting the throttle down. So we need to know what the light is, and then we just scan that module, and that's going to tell us where to start looking. Then we have to do a little detective work to determine what's the cause of the problem. Okay, because as soon as it goes out, it's not functioning. Well, yeah, it's going to because it's going to reset all the things, but it's not going away. You see, it's just storing the thing, and it's going to a different situation. You may have to drive it a number of miles for it to come on, but it's not fixed. And... What's going to happen if you ignore this, one day it's just going to really catastrophically fail. And it's kind of like you got a fire alarm that keeps going off and you just ignore it. But you got some wires that are getting hot and smoldering in the wall and your house burns down because you say, well, you know, after I turn the lights off, it goes away. You see, it ain't going to go away. It, it ain't like a sore thumb. It ain't going to heal. If it's come back on, with a vengeance. Yeah, something is going wrong. And the check engine light or the transmission light or whatever light it is is just trying to give you an early warning. Hey, we've got a problem here. Okay. So it's, it's trying to save you some money is what it's doing. Now, one thing I could tell you is that um, I know that the transmission fluid has never been changed since mm-hmm. 205. It was bought brand new. Yeah. Well, it's time. It's never been changed. It's time, so. but that's not going to solve that problem. Okay. Transmission service needs to be done to prevent other problems, but it's not going to solve this issue. Okay. This is something that's going wrong that the computer's picking up on. It's going to have a code stored, so that's where we have to start looking. If it's a transmission problem at all, because it could be other problems. It may not be transmission at all. It could be now, something what, controlling transmission. One other thing I want to ask you, I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about this before. Is there any type of epoxy that you use or would use in the way of automotive repair? Depending on the application. What, what are we trying to fix? Well, just say a, an area on the block, and it's not uh, it's not mixing with 
In other words, oil and water is not mixing together, but you may have a little bit of oil getting out. No, no, no there's not anything you could be able to epoxy. Not, I mean, it's a matter of just gaskets that seal all that stuff. If you're getting oil to the outside, something's failed. And you're kind of working the long way around the tree. You need to fix whatever's failed. I mean, nothing that you're going to put on the outside is going to seal a pressurized leak from the inside. Okay. You know, it's, it's kind of like if, if you're shot through the chest and you say, well, the problem is it's bleeding right here. Let's just put a bandage, bandage on, on your it. back, you know. Yeah, that's not going to solve the problem. You know, you're going to need to go and find out why it's leaking and fix the problem. Okay. Well, just in general, is there any type of epoxy that you would use? No, it not really. Not, just depends on what I you're mean, trying to fix. The only time I would use any kind of epoxy for anything is if I had something that was non-structural, yeah, that a piece was of broken, plastic. a piece of plastic that was broken. You might glue that back together. Right. And almost any two-part epoxy can do that. But it's not going to seal anything. It's not going to fix a problem that exists in the car. Okay. All righty. All right. Thanks. All right, Don. All right. Nice call, man. All right. Bye-bye. I take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwitch. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We were talking a little bit today about oil and storing oil and how long you can store oil. Sure. Best practices with regard to storing oil. And the other side of that question is getting rid of the oil. Sure, the disposal of <laughs> Disposing it. of oil. And, you know, oil can be a toxic type of a thing. All itself is not so toxic, except that once it goes through the engine, it's got heavy metals in it sure. and all that. So it's not something you can just pour down the drain. Or dump out on the ground. Or dump out on the ground. It's going to create a problem for someone. And I know there are some selfish people that just say, well, it doesn't bother me. But mm-hmm. we live with other people. And, sure. you know, I know there was a problem years ago in Baton Rouge. There was a shop that was just dumping it all out. This was many years ago before they started really regulating this so hard. And it started coming up. There was a water well right. not too far from this location, and all started coming up in that water well. Yep. And, of course, once they discovered that and traced it back, the business had some big problems. <laughs> hands. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, they regulate that quite a bit. But not only is it the best thing to do, it's just the right thing to do. And what happens to used oil is it doesn't go into the environment. For the most part, used oil is taken. They clean it up, and they make heating oil out of it. Right. So it's getting it's getting recycled. It's getting recycled so that it gets two uses rather than one. So it goes from being a problem to being a solution. Mm-hmm. So if you do have your oil, a lot of times wherever you buy oil, we'll take it sure. as disposal. A lot of the quick lube places will take it as a disposal. And uh, some of your auto parts places will actually take it. They have a storage tank out back. Mm-hmm. The point is 
you don't want to dump the oil in the drain because particularly in a drain storm drain because that goes straight to the untreated into right. water and i know i had a neighbor one time who would change his oil he would dump it out in his storm drain and his storm drain ran down a little creek and ran into the lake right in front of my house sure. and there are little fish in that there were creek were yeah <laughs> that keep the mosquitoes away because when a mosquito lands in that creek and lays eggs of course there are little fish fingerlings in there that like to eat that so it keeps everything real nice well i happened to see a nice oily sheen and all my little fish were dead yep and traced it back to him and i went out and had a little talk with him about it and hadn't seen it happen since so i don't know if he just wasn't aware of what he was doing but the point is you don't want to just dump this all out no you want to dispose of it properly and it's not going to cost you anything to have it disposed of like you were saying earlier the different places will take it and dispose of it for you for no charge mm-hmm. i know at the shop the amount they charge us to dispose of oil varies. Dependent, when the yeah. price of oil goes up, there was a time when it pay you for mm-hmm. the used oil. They would. Because the price of crude was so high. Now that the price of crude is low, I think right now they're hauling it off for free. Okay. No pay, no either way. But back when the price of crude was very low, we had to pay them to haul to it co- off. Come get it, yeah. Just because they could buy virgin crude cheaper, than, cheaper they than they could recycle this. Sure. So it was more a pain to deal with transportation costs, cleanup costs, and all that. But it's just a small price that we pay to live in the world we live. Right. I think things are a lot better than when I was a kid. I remember way, way back, they used to fish in the river and all that. And then, of course, the Mississippi River ended up getting so polluted, nobody would eat anything that came out of it. Exactly. I think it's getting a little better. I know there were a lot of rivers and stuff up north where someone caught fire. Because they were so contaminated. So contaminated, dumping stuff into them. So not something that you want to do from that perspective. Dispose of you all in a responsible manner, and that'll eliminate that. And antifreeze and all the other stuff that comes out of a car. Of same, course. Same way. And a lot of times you can get it back into the container you bought the new oil in. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the top has got a seal on it, so you can seal it down. And then it's got a convenient hand carry. You can carry it to just about anywhere you want to take it mm-hmm. and have it disposed of properly. There you go. And Elizabeth, my daughter, called during the break, and she says, Daddy, say something about used car inspections. And said this time of year a lot of kids are going to school and and all that so a lot of used cars are being purchased not only that but most people can see the wisdom in buying a used car over buying a new car new cars there's so many things that are being mandated onto them that it's got the price just out of a lot of people's reach sure uh, certainly, there are people who can still go down and plank down 50, 60 grand for a car and I'm just, not think twice about it. I'm just not one of them. I ain't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and even if I could, I wouldn't. Right. Economically feasible. Well, I like to buy a three-year-old car just because it's not hurt at all. Right. It, There's hardly any maintenance for a three-year-old vehicle. It, I mean, if changes. they've just changed the oil and nothing else, the car's going to probably be in pretty decent shape. Right. And you're buying it roughly half price. So, you know, I know the first thing, well, it's not, it doesn't have a warranty. But the point is, if you buy the car for half price, you can afford to set some money aside. Exactly. If you're going to pay, say, $40,000 for a new car, and you're buying this one for twenty, just stick four or five grand in the bank, in a CD or sure. whatever, and if the car breaks, you got the money to fix it. If not, you got a nice little savings account. When you get ready to get rid of the car, you got a good down payment on your next on the car. next one, yep. Yeah, I mean, if, That's if, a great if, idea. Yeah, if nothing else, just... Take it and take a vacation. Take your wife and kids <laughs> on a vacation. The point she was trying to make is I would never, ever buy a used car without inspecting it first. Oh, most definitely. Most of the used cars, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of new cars that are on the market are coming in off a lease, maybe 
people see the wisdom of leasing for whatever their situation is. Sure. Car gets three years old, they take it back, and it goes on the market. Right. That's usually a pretty good situation because if they've kind of halfway taken care of the car, then it's going to be okay. They just got another car. Well, and there's a lot of records out there that you can access to see where this car's been and what kind of maintenance has been done mm-hmm. on it if that information has been passed on. Right. You know, if, if it was done at a dealership, that information is going to be available. If the insurance company got involved with this vehicle, it's going to be available. But if the car was fixed in some guy's backyard with a spray can, that's not going to be available for you. That's right. why the inspection needs to be done on each and every vehicle. Well, you know, sometimes people, maybe you have a young family and they have a child or maybe like you have twins. Right. Well, all of a sudden their automotive needs change. Well, sure. Because that pickup truck that was okay for you and your wife and maybe even one, one, one child, child, you've instantly outgrown it. Now you got three is just not practical anymore. So that may go on the market. And a more practical vehicle may be bought. Sure. These are the kind of situations you're looking for. Now, what you're not looking for is the guy who didn't do his maintenance, drove the car, the radiator split, he He overheated it, it. kept on driving it, it's blown a head gasket, he went somewhere and they told him what it was going to cost to fix it, so he dumped some stop leak in it and he put it on the market. Sure. That's the car you don't want. That's the only way you're going to see that is with an inspection. Yeah, you're going to have to inspect the car and check for that. Another example is a car that was maybe wrecked and the guy didn't have collision insurance on sure. it. So he brought some backyard Bob who patched it together in his backyard or some backstreet shop, did not do a very good job, and then he sold the car. Mm-hmm. Now, it may look fine from the outside cosmetically. To an, un- to an untrained eye. Right. Cosmetically, it may look fine. But a inspection. An inspection can go in and tell you all these kinds of things. Sure. Hey, this vehicle was hitting the front real hard and the rails have been underneath the floor. You don't want this vehicle. Right. Or know- maybe it was just bumped in the front and the cover was changed. Mm-hmm. No way to know that unless you do the inspection. Well, a repaired car is not necessarily a bad thing if it's properly repaired. Correct. Another thing might be where the transmission starts to slip or whatever, and you have to drive it a ways for this to occur. So the guy clears out the codes that will set the check engine light goes trades it in well you drive the car make a little 10 minute test drive you don't ever encounter that you need to bring that to someone who can inspect the car and tell you what's going on this is not a car you want because it's fixing a need a transmission exactly and there's no such thing as hey this is a good deal (laughs) that Uh, don't happen very often no i mean unless you're buying that car for almost nothing right the time you put a transmission in it with the inconvenience and the money you're going to spend you're back to the initial cost of a a one that was in better shape better off to buy one that was in better shape skip all the heartache and headache yep and just get a better car i see we're just about out of time we want to start getting ready to wind on up and get on out of here like thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week go your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service whichever that might be Find a written view and fill it out for us. Well, whatever way you may happen to listen to our show, whether you go to our website and download it or you go to iTunes or Stitcher or any other fine rebroadcast services, there's generally going to be a place for a written review somewhere in there. Fill that out, move it up. It makes us feel good about what we're doing and also gets us more notoriety. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.